we know that in everything God works for good with those who love Him, who are called according to His purpose. That is Romans 8.28, and this is the Living the Word Bible Podcast. I'm Sarah Chris Meyer, talking with women about the Bible and the difference it makes in our lives. Today, we are talking about some women in the Bible whose lives maybe didn't go according to plan, yet who God used in His plan, and who found God to be good no matter what. My guest wrote about some of those women for the Living the Word Bible. Patty Breen is a writer and storyteller. She's an improv actor and a lay minister currently serving as Ministry Formation Manager for Ascension, Michigan. Patty, welcome to Living the Word Bible Podcast. Hi, Sarah. How are you? I'm great today. Thank you. Hey, tell us more about what you do. What's a Ministry Formation Manager? Yeah, that's a really, it's a good question. Everybody asks me that all the time. So, um, so I work in Catholic health care. So there's a um, Catholic ministry that is committed to carrying on Catholic identity, um, but in a way that still draws people in that aren't Christian or Catholic and that is still inclusive. And so we develop leadership retreats, formative experiences, uh, resources for leaders that embed like the principles of Catholic social teaching, but, but also are accessible for people who maybe have different belief systems. So it's kind of walking Hmm. up the line, but um, it's very different than working in parish ministry, but in many ways, I think it's um, more engaging and fulfilling for me. So I love it. That's good. And in healthcare. Mm -hmm. Interesting. Interesting. I was going through some of your just websites and things you've written and so on. And you say that you're passionate about messy conversations at the intersection of faith and culture and ministry. Uh, Probably that kind of describes what you're doing in your job. Tell us about that a little bit. What drives that passion that you have? Yeah, I kind of joke and I tell my friends and family that I'm the, I'm the most fun person at parties because I want to talk about all the things you're not supposed to, like religion and politics. <laughs> so I want to go to those conversations because I just think that nowadays um, it's a lost art to have healthy, respectful um, dialogue with people you don't agree with. And I just think it's a lost art form. And I think, you know, one of the things that Jesus modeled is no conversation or no person or situation was off limits. And so I think, you know, if we can take the kid gloves off and just be real, but respectful, I think that sometimes that's just the better place to start. Do you find that people rise to that and will talk to you about religion and politics and some of the taboo things? Some do and some don't. So I, you know, you know, your limits. Yeah. I've had, interesting conversations with people on airplanes before or, you know, uh, family members or, um, you know, friends that have differing opinions. And, you know, sometimes it uh, goes how you think and sometimes it goes differently. And, you know, that's just life. I mean, life is complex. People are complex and the things they believe are, they have their reasons for it. Well, I think it's great that you do that. I try to do that, but I don't think I do it as often as I would like to. So uh, kudos to you. Thank you. I'm not an expert, so <laughs> I'm, I'm making mistakes as I go. <laughs> Maybe you can teach me sometime. 
Oh, well, another thing that you've written about is the importance of really building your prayer life with silence and scripture and spontaneity. Um, how particularly has scripture deepened your relationship with Jesus? It has made me see things differently about the stories of Jesus, the the parables, like all these all these stories in scripture. Um, you know, I was raised in a Catholic home. My parents you know, pass the faith on with great intentionality, but we never, we like never read the Bible really. Mm. We had Bible, you know, those kitty Bible books, but it was probably in the college before I had a priest say to me, he's like, oh yeah, you should be reading this. Like you should be praying with this. And I was like, oh, well, I don't even own a Bible. Like adult Bible. <laughs> that kind of started, but um, I, what I love is really is Ignatian meditation. So putting yourself mm. in the scene mm-hmm. and I'm still amazed like every time you read something, there's always, there's always a new perspective. And so it's just, I guess, reading scripture is a reminder for me of not, oh, I know this story. I'm familiar with this story. Oh, I, I, you know, I've had this insight. Well, there might be a new insight there. And so to not treat it. So I know what this is about, but maybe treat it with more openness. So it helps you kind of enter into the scripture a little bit better and understand what was going on, but how does it help your prayer life then? I think it helps me just be real with God. Um, mm-hmm. I really like the Psalms. They have every human emotion. And I find comfort in that because it reminds me that no emotion is um, all of our feelings and emotions are okay with God. Like we don't have to hide them. We can be real. I'm a pretty direct person in real life. And some of the things I tell my spiritual director that I say to Jesus, mm-hmm. she's like, that's good. Like he would rather you be honest than not. And so I think it just helps me be real and just direct and, um, and also put myself in the scene of like the stories of Jesus's life. So when you started reading with that, when that priest suggested that you start reading, did you just jump right into the gospels or the Psalms or did you start reading something else? What did you do? I think it started with a couple Bible studies, like, you know, different young adult Bible studies. Mm is getting my feet. And I think I, the first one I think I did was on Romans, which oh I'm, man, that's kind of heavy. So <laughs> I don't know why I went there, but anyway, that's where I started. But then I, when I started reading it and praying with it on my own, it was Psalms and then the gospels. Hmm. Do you have a favorite Psalm? I don't want to be cliche, but I really like Psalm 23 because when I was in the Holy land in September, our guide took us on the, to the hill where he said, when David talks about the valley of the shadow of death, this is that valley. Oh my. It was like one of the many moments where I'm like, oh, this is a real place. This mm. this is not just something we read about. So for the rest of my life, I'm always going to look at that psalm differently. And it's just, but I've always liked that psalm, but now it like means something deeper. Describe that valley. I've not, I've not been there. It's really in the middle of, well, it's in the middle of the desert. So you would driving by at eye level, you wouldn't see it. But if you get out of the bus, in our case, and you you walk, there's just like this steep path, like canyon downward. And there's a, you know, some bushes and rocks down there at the bottom and a, and a little stream that runs through it. And um, there's a sole cross that stands there, which it also marks the part where it is believed that the story of the Good Samaritan happened. 
So, um, but I remember our guy, he's like, this is, this is that valley that uh, King David was talking about. And I was like, oh. <laughs> so a real kind of a scary, va- scary valley, maybe steep sides and places for robbers to hide. And- yeah, there's nothing there. There's no, there's no animals. There's nothing, nothing can really grow very well. And um, yeah, just even there, God was doing something in that that Psalm to David in that physical place. Did you see anything else that really struck you in the Holy Land? Yeah. When we were, when, yes, when we were at the Basilica of the Annunciation, that was our first full day in Nazareth and our group was getting ready to leave. And um, I was asking our guide a question about something on the exterior of the Basilica. And um, he said, you know, Patty, in Western art, Mary is often portrayed in the Annunciation with her hand up in fear. But here mm-hmm. where it happened, and on the Basilica, it's image this way, he pointed it out to me, her hands up in fear, but it's also uh, open in receptivity. Mm-hmm. So it's kind of like the both and of life, like life is both beautiful and joyful. And it is also hard and sorrowful and messy sometimes. Yeah. And so that was just a I like walked away from that little conversation of like, oh my gosh, like that gives a lot of context to life and the life I'm living and the life I have lived and just lots of little like things like that, little, little tidbits along the way. I love that picture. I think I know what you're talking about. The little statue of Mary that's sort of up on the wall there Mm -hmm. where she's reaching out and she's such a young child at that point too. Mm -hmm. But it's a great picture of our life with God because there's a fear there uh, and a scariness, but then there's also the desire to welcome him in and say yes. Yeah. Well, that is a great way to start talking about those women of the Bible um, because you wrote about a lot of interesting women one thing you wrote about was the midwives at the time of Exodus, you know, who risked their lives rather than follow uh, Pharaoh's orders to kill the babies. And then you wrote about Martha, who is a wonderful woman who I think everybody loves Martha, but we always think about that time when she's anxious and worried about many things. And, you know, Jesus talks about the better part that Mary has, but that's not the scene that you chose to write about, about Martha. Tell what scene you chose and why you chose it. I have always been very struck by Martha. Just she, she gives me a sense of this like tenacious feisty spirit. Hmm. And similar to the, to the midwives in, um, in Exodus, like you, you don't do brave, courageous things if you don't have this like inner grit. Mm-hmm. And I think I always relate to female saints that like that, women of the Bible like that. Those are the women that I'm like, oh, I want to be like that when I grow up. Um, and so Lazarus has died, Jesus waits, and Martha's the one. She goes again, it's the emotion thing. And she goes and she mm-hmm. meets him. She's like, if you had been here, this wouldn't have happened. Like, where were you? Like, and she's distraught and just can imagine the whole scene like hysterical and just weeping and maybe probably angry. And then at one point she says, he says, you know, but do you believe what I've said about the resurrection? She says, yes, even now. And I'm that even now it's like that little, like, Hmm. it's like that little glimpse of hope that just, Oh, okay. This doesn't make sense, but I do believe you. Even if it doesn't make sense, I, I do trust you, even if it doesn't make sense. And I don't know. I just really relate to that. And I certainly don't live it perfectly. God knows, but, (laughs) 
<laughs> um, I, I'm aspiring to that in life. Well, if you read that story using Ignatian spirituality, uh, what, what do you see in your mind and who are you or where are you in the scene? I've prayed with that scene several times. Sometimes I've been the people watching this mm. play out with Martha and Jesus. Um, there have been more times than not that I've been Martha because I relate so deeply to that. Why? I don't understand. I'm angry. I don't, this doesn't, I don't get this. Like, where were you? This, this shouldn't have gone this way or, you know, fill in the blank, whatever it is. Um, and there's times I've been people that are moving the rocks away for Jesus to go into the, the tomb where Lazarus is laying. There's been times where I've been Lazarus and hmm. Jesus calls him out. And then the friends that unbind him, the friends that untie him, it feels like, you know, for whatever season I am in life or wherever I am in life, that often seems to relate with who I find myself being in the story. Mm. Yeah, it kind of speaks into the time where you are. Yes, yes. I love what she says, you know, if you had been here, this wouldn't have happened, <laughs> you know, and yet she's still asking him. And you wonder if she had some kind of hope that he would still pull something off, even though Lazarus is in the tomb. Yeah. So what about Mary in that scene? Mary, you know, we don't really hear so much from Mary. I have wondered before with this scene, like maybe Mary knew, maybe Mary had an insight. Is it because hmm. she was sitting at the feet? It because she had that, maybe that posture, that receptivity to Jesus? Maybe she... Maybe she already knew that. Maybe she already had that hope and belief in her heart. I don't know. Or maybe she shares in her sister's frustration, you know, just because we don't hear her voice like her sister doesn't mean she wasn't feeling the same way. So that's what's that's what I also like about scripture. Sometimes the details that aren't on the page are an invitation to like use our imagination. Yeah. And just think, oh, I wonder, you know, um, I wonder what they were thinking. I wonder what that must have felt like. What is she seeing? What is she hearing? So take yourself to the scene where they've invited Jesus and the disciples into their house and Martha's doing all the work. <laughs> what do you what do you glean from that? I think I relate to it because I would bet $20 that Every single person has had some situation in life where they look at something and they're like, well, that's not fair. That <laughs> yeah. doesn't feel good. What what are you doing? Like, that's not how you do it, you know? Um, kind of like a sense of something being owed to you. So I think that mm -hmm. the, it's a very, it's a human thing. I, I We've all felt that way. I'm, I'm going to speak on behalf of humanity for a moment, but <laughs> um, it's just a very real thing. And whether it's siblings growing up in a family or in a career setting or, you know, a parish ministry setting, I think we've all felt that. And, and I think it's a reminder that sometimes we get caught in the details that aren't, we think they're important, but when push comes to shove, they're real, they're really not. Mm. As my Irish grandma used to say, she's like, they don't line up for a hill of beans. Like, you know? <laughs> so it's just, we make things bigger sometimes and harder than they need to be. I love that she goes to Jesus and says, you know, why don't you tell her to tell her to help me? Tell her to help me. And that's such a big sister thing to do or a 
it's, it just seems so unfair and you want God to get the other person to help you. And what does he do? He just looks at her with such love and Martha, Martha, you're anxious and troubled about many things. And then he affirms what Mary was doing. Uh, I kind of would like to think that after that, Mary got up and helped her. <laughs> but like you said, we don't hear the rest of the story. We don't. And then it just, I, I have often left wondering like, okay, well, what happened? Like, Similar to the prodigal son, like you don't know what happens after the fact. Is, is do the brothers reunite? Do they yeah. slide by? It's like all these little details that are hidden. Like someday when I get to heaven, I have so many questions. <laughs> <laughs> well, maybe you're right. It is nice that we have some things that aren't told because when we do sit and pray with them, we can kind of insert ourselves in there and it it becomes a, a place where we can pray and deepen our conversation with the Lord. Yeah, it's an invitation then. Exactly, exactly. So you wrote also about the uh, the women that Matthew highlights in his genealogy of Jesus. Can you tell people, you know, who are the women? Usually there wouldn't be women in a genealogy, just the men would be shown. And so it's unusual that he puts women in there. And then these particular women are also pretty unusual. Can you tell us who they are and why they were unusual? Yeah, um, so Rahab was the prostitute who helped Joshua and the Israelites when they were getting ready to enter uh, Jericho. Naomi and Ruth, the daughter-in-law and the mother-in-law, and you know, being a foreigner and losing their their husbands, and then the story that plays out with them. Tamar, you know, was slept with her father-in-law Judah, uh, one of the the twelve sons of Israel, and. Um, little scandalous situation there. And then um, the wife of Uriah is the last one. Bathsheba, yeah, Bathsheba, who was carried on with King David, and that resulted in their their son Solomon. So I think it's, well, and you said this already, women were never mentioned in genealogy. Like society was very driven by men and, and male presence and, you know, headship and things like that. But the women that are mentioned, they're not—they're not perfect and shiny and like perfectly put together. Like they have past and they have stories, and you know, some people could say, "Well, it's like it's all focused on you know their sexual stuff or their sexual issues or sins or whatever." And I'm like, take that aside. If anything, it's a reminder that God uses anyone and anything, and that the story of salvation is for all people, and that you don't have to be perfect and shiny, and if anything, it gives hope for all of us that God uses all kinds of different curves and lines and crooked lines and curly lines to write into a deeper story. And so there's a reason they're in there. It's not for what they did wrong, but it's to teach us a deeper lesson about ourselves, I think. Well, and probably also just showing that, you know, here Matthew is introducing Jesus, who was born from a woman who wasn't married when she conceived. And, you know, that's pretty scandalous. And people might say, whoa, whoa, you know, he can't be in the line of David. And yet look at all these other people who were, whose mothers, you know, their paths were, were not exactly, as you said, shiny. <laughs> but I love if you, if you put yourself into the position of those women, they're all in positions where 
uh, life life has not turned out the way they want. I mean, Tamara uh, has lost husband after husband. She's this abandoned widow. She ends up sleeping with her father-in-law in order to make him have the progeny that he's supposed to have. Um, but the fear that she must have had in that situation. And then Rahab is a prostitute, and then her entire civilization is about to be destroyed. So not a good situation there. Ruth is a Moabitess. You know, she's not exactly a friend of Israel, and she's lost her father-in-law. She's lost her husband. She has no prospects, and she goes to a foreign country. And then Bathsheba is just kind of a pawn of David there, and her husband's killed. But any of us could have similar situations, you know, losing husbands, you know, not having control over our lives and where they're going. And yet look how God blessed them. Look at the blessing that he gave them and just beautiful, beautiful stories. Do you have a favorite one? I really like um, the story of Bathsheba and, um, and David and Uriah because I mean, and I would say it's a similarity I could make for all of them, but I particularly like that one because there's so much that we don't know about Bathsheba's experience. Like, did mm. King David lure her? Did he trick her? Like, did she say no? You know, was her consent violated? Like, these are things that, you know, concerns and things that affect women to this day. And so I think that God blessed all of these women had a story for them to play. But I think also it makes me feel compassion for each of these women. Like if I was in a compromising situation or like tomorrow and was desperate to, would I put myself outside of that? I'm not going to say I'm so perfect and great that I wouldn't. Do you know what I mean? Like, so there's also, there's some humanity and just compassion for each of these women in the times they were living in, in these complex real life situations where they're like, I don't know what to do. And, you know, um, the fear that comes with that and all the emotions that that brings up with too. So a lot of compassion for them too. Mm -hmm. Is there a woman that you didn't write about that you're really fond of in, in scripture that you'd want to talk about? I, I really like Mary Magdalene. I think she's often misrepresented and misunderstood. I do think she was probably one of the most um, cohesive members of Jesus's inner circle. Mm. You know, she was there supporting his ministry from the beginning. She was one of the few people at the end went with him all the way to Calvary. She was there at the resurrection. She went back and told the rest of the gang that Jesus did what he said he would do. And she was there in the upper room. So I like to think of her as this, um, I don't know, just this like mentoring presence, strong presence of commitment, of dedication, of, and yet there's so much that we don't know about her for real. Um, historically, you know, we know she was from the town of Magdala. It was a seaside town on the site on the Sea of Galilee. But, you know, what was her personality like? You know, what was the encounter that first led her to meet Jesus where he cured her of seven, de seven demons? What was that like? What what did he cure her of? What was her life before that? Yeah, all those things that we don't know, but it's just, for me, it just feels so fun to, to kind of play with that in prayer, I guess. So 
What do you mean play with that in prayer? How does that enrich your prayer life to have these stories, to know these people? For me, it feels like um, spiritual like friendship, like spiritual big brothers or sisters or companions. Mm. Um, I know I feel that with Mary Magdalene. I relate to her as like perhaps a woman who, another woman in scripture where her life didn't maybe go as she imagined or thought growing up. And I think if we can see the humanity of these women and men in these stories, real life stories, then there's application for us here today. Because if if we can't make connections and, oh, wow, you have something to teach me, even though you live thousands of years ago, then then we're missing something. Mm. And these people aren't perfect and they're human and they're messy and they have real lives. And we see that play out constantly through the pages of both the Old and New Testament. And so, I don't know, it just gives me hope for the woman I continue to grow into being and um, who I, you know, hopefully I'm becoming more who God created me to be. And I don't know, it's just the reminder that there's not a one size all approach, right? To, to, to being a, a man or woman of faith following God. I love that. That's really good that there's not a one size approach because all of us are so different. And that goes back to your beginning about those messy conversations, you know, people coming from different places, but there's a, a meeting point where we can talk and where God will meet us. Well, Patty, do you have a favorite scripture verse that you could share with us? Yes. Um, it is actually <laughs> from the story of the Annunciation. Oh, good. Gabriel comes to Mary. She's distraught. How does this cow can this be? I don't know, man. I'm not married yet. And he gives her very clear instructions. Nope, this child will be through the Holy Spirit. And then Mary's response, and it's at the very end, and I think it's a line that's sometimes missed. And she says, for nothing will be impossible with God. I just think that cuts me to the core because I don't mm-hmm. always, I truly desire to believe that and live that, but I don't always, and I haven't always. It's like a beacon of hope in that story. And I think it's a beacon of hope. Um, for me to remember like nothing, like God's not a liar. If he's a liar, then throw out the Bible, like throw it out. Cause if he's a liar, then get rid of it. It's garbage, but he's not a liar. And so this little girl who doesn't understand how this is going to be about, and is she going to be mistreated? Is she going to be cast out? Are people going to, you know, treat her and her baby poorly, all these things, but nothing's going to be impossible for God. He He's going to use that situation. He's going to use this situation. He's going to use my situation, your situation. I don't know. It's just, for me, it's like an anthem and I have to remind myself of it because I, I very easily forget. Well, I love to, just the compassion of the angel, I guess, in uh, before telling her that nothing will be impossible with God, he says, he tells her the little secret that Elizabeth is in her sixth month. And here's Elizabeth, who's very old and way past the age of childbearing. So it's like, there's proof right in your family. Mm-hmm. Did you know that Elizabeth you know, has conceived a son? And um, just the astonishing thing that God can give life to, a, to someone who's barren. And I love that because we can be barren in lots of ways. So we can be barren in not 
not being able to have a child, but we can also be barren in our work or just in feeling that we're not amounting to anything or that we just feel dead because we've been run down or there's just so many different ways that we can feel like that. And yet there's nothing impossible with God. He can bring new life to us. Uh, so such a hopeful, hopeful thing. So I would, I would love to pray with that entire passage and do a little, I guess, a modified Lexio with it. But maybe also people who are listening, you know, use that Ignatius practice, Ignatian practice of putting yourself in the scene as you hear about it and imagine yourself as Mary when the, when the angel came to her. So I'll be reading now. This is from Luke chapter 1, and I'm going to read the whole thing because we have a little bit of time here, and it's a beautiful, beautiful passage. So come, Holy Spirit, open our hearts and our minds to receive your word. In the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent from God to a city of Galilee named Nazareth to a virgin betrothed to a man whose name was Joseph of the house of David and the virgin's name was Mary. And he came to her and said, Hail, full of grace, the Lord is with you. Maybe just allow that to sink in. The Lord is with you. Even if you can't sense his presence, he's with you now if you're listening. But Mary was greatly troubled at that saying, and she considered in her mind what sort of greeting this might be. And the angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. And behold, you will conceive in your womb and bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus. He will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High, and the Lord God will give to him the throne of his father David, and he will reign over the house of Jacob forever, and of his kingdom there will be no end. And Mary said to the angel, How can this be, since I have no husband? And if we're sitting there imagining, you know, how can this be? We might ask the same thing of God. How can God's son be born in me? I'm not Mary, (laughs) you know, but each one of us is God's beloved daughter. And he wants to fill us with his life and be born through our words and our deeds into the world. So I keep reading. And the angel said to her, The Holy Spirit will come upon you, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. Therefore, the child to be born will be called Holy, the Son of God. And behold, your kinswoman Elizabeth, in her old age, has also conceived a son, and this is the sixth month with her who was called barren, for with God nothing will be impossible. Nothing. Don't underestimate the power of the Holy Spirit. He is the one who brings life. It's not on you. The Lord is with you, asking to enter the womb of your life so he can take flesh in your world. Do not be afraid. With God, nothing will be impossible. And Mary said, Behold, I am the handmaid of the Lord. Let it be to me according to your word. And the angel departed from her. We pray, Heavenly Father, for grace like Mary to receive your word. 
Thank you for the life and the strength that it brings. And give us grace to love and live your word, to give birth to you in our words and in our actions day by day. Through our Lord Jesus Christ, the living word. Amen. Mary, Mother of the Word incarnate, pray for us. Patty, thank you for, first of all, thank you for that verse, because that whole passage is so inspiring, and we have so much to learn from that. And I thank you for bringing that up and for talking with us today. Thank you for having me. I was happy to be here. Is there anything you would like to add? No, let's just, uh, as best as we're all able, live that, to be that as best as we can, not perfectly, but as best as we can. Amen. So where can people reach you? Where can they find out more about you? I hang out on Instagram a lot. I gave up Twitter a while ago because that's where good conversation, I feel like, goes to die. (laughs) (laughs) Um, So I'm on Instagram at uh, Miss Patty Ann underscore. And I'm also writing online um, different places, um, Catholic Match, the National Catholic Reporter. um, And my website is uh, patriciabreen.net. Great. I will put all those in your bio so people can link to them if they'd like. All right. Well, this has been Sarah Chris Meyer, and this is Living the Word Bible Podcast. Thank you so much for listening. And I hope you'll join me every Thursday for conversations with women who love and live God's Word. And you can also join our Instagram community at Living the Word Bible. I would love to hear from you. Also, if you'd like to get a copy of the Living the Word Catholic Women's Bible or the brand new companion journal where you can write down the insights that you get with your Ignatian (laughs) meditation, uh, they're available to you for a special price right now. Just go to AveMariaPress.com and use the promo code BiblePodcast. And God bless you as you read His Word.